We're in the fourth week of a five-week series we have titled After God's Own Heart. We have been looking at the person of David, the king of Israel who was chosen by God because his heart was viewed by God as being one that is after his own. We've talked through different stories of David. Just uh, last week, we looked at the story of a crippled boy named Mephibosheth, who has a seat at God's table, not because of anything he did, but because of who his father was in relationship to the king. And we talked about how we have hope because we have a seat at the table, although we are broken and don't deserve it as well. We looked at the story of David and Bathsheba before that, and we saw David's moral failure And we're reminded in that tale and that story of the grace that is extended not just to David from God, but to us when we mess up, when we fall short. And before that, we looked at how David and all that he does, he is a worshiper first. And how David has allowed praise to become the framework in which he lives his life through. And today, I'm I'm excited. I've titled the message this morning, David the King. And while in nearly all of our stories and dives into the person of David, he has been the king of Israel, today is not so much about how he became the king or how he maintained his kingship. Today's sermon and message is mostly about how David's being the king affected everybody else around him. And, and how does it change us to be in proximity to the king? So here's a question I want all of us to answer today or take away with us today. How does the king change me? How does the king change me? Well, we're going to look at the story of King David as we have the past few weeks. I'm excited today because this really isn't a story about the King David and his relationship with his people. This is a story about our king and his relationship with his people, with us. So the question, how does the king, how does our king change us when we're in relationship to him? And I wish that when the king was changing us, when Jesus changes us in our hearts, when we seek God with everything that we are, I really do wish it was just kind of like the snap of his fingers, because I know it could be, right? I know that God is calling you and I to maybe different areas of ministry and life and purpose. A lot of us are being called to serve in different ways and to be different specific bodies, parts of the body of Christ in the world. All of us are called to something. All of us are probably called to something, and they look a little bit different. And I really wish that as soon as you learned what that thing was, that passion, that purpose, that way forward. As soon as we knew what that was, I wish that God would just snap his fingers and make us those people, make us exactly who we're supposed to be. But the reality is that there's a lot of different spots along the different journeys that we're on in our faith. There's a lot of different spots where we're traveling through life, figuring out exactly, hey, where do we fit? Where do I fit? And I think some of us, a lot of us probably, don't even know where we're going to end up. We don't even know what our purpose is, let alone how we're going to get there. In the same way that we are called to just be obedient to God, David was called to be obedient to God. You see, when David was in his father's house and Samuel the prophet came and anointed his head and said, he's going to be the king, he wasn't immediately in that moment the king of Israel. There was 15 years between the time where David was told, here is where you're going to go, And when he actually got there, there were 15 years of shaping, 15 years of growth and development for David. Over those 15 years, David learned how to battle. He learned how to create strategy. He learned how to walk in trust with God. All of those things came after the call, but before the title. And so I think a lot of us are in this space where maybe we know what the call is on our lives and we're, we're after the call, but we haven't yet stepped into and walked into the call that God has put on our lives. Some of us maybe are walking in the call that God has placed on our lives and we're waiting and listening for what's next. 
Or maybe some of us are way at the beginning of that whole process, and we don't know exactly what God wants from us. We don't know exactly what that means in us. I think there are people here who are listening this morning who don't know what their purpose is. They feel like they're sitting in church today without purpose. I don't know what God wants from me. If that's you this morning, I hope you find hope in knowing that the molding comes before the title. You might not know exactly where you fit in, how you fit in, or how you're going to fit in in the narrative of God and his people and in the church. You might not know what that is right now, but that doesn't mean you're in an empty season that's without worth. I don't think that's true. I know that's not true. It means you could be in a season of growth. You're in a season of shaping. David, for 15 years, was in that season of growth. And for seven of those 15 years, he was on the run from King Saul. Saul, who was the current king of Israel, was jealous of, king, of the future king, David, jealous that he was going to lose the throne. So he was angry. And in his jealousy, he sought David out and tried to kill him. So for seven of those 15 years, between when David was called and David became king, he was running. And at one point, he ends up in a cave, and he's hiding from Saul. Open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel 22. We'll start at verse 1 in this chapter. It says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down there with him. So David's on the run from King Saul, and he escapes Gath, and he makes it into this cave called the Cave of Adullam. Here's a photo for reference. I don't think David took this himself. I think this picture was probably done later. And I don't even know that this is exactly where he was in the cave, believe it or not. Uh, this was probably one possible cave in a whole system of caves. And we don't know exactly where David was hiding and where he was. But this is a general idea of the environment that David was living in. And, and odds are that they were living both inside the cave and just outside the mouth of the cave, kind of setting up shop so that when Saul's people came or the enemy arrived, they were able to retreat into the cave and hide in its system. We also read in verse two, it says this, if you keep reading, all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, David, and David became their commander. About 400 men were with him. See, I love that picture. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. How I wish that all of us who are feeling those things, who are those things, inside and outside of this room, in your family and in the family you know of that's not walking with Christ, how different would our world look if all the discontented and in debt and distressed would sit at the feet of Jesus? I think that would change everything in our lives. But back to the cave, it says there were 400 men with him, 400 of these men who were broken and who were experiencing hardship. And they were hiding for their lives in these caves. When I was in early high school, I was like a freshman. My parents had just gotten a divorce. So to me, that was like a license to be kind of like the Danny Zuko bad boy, rebellious stage that I have always, I earned it at that point. And so I started like, i there's nothing bad boy about me. You can tell from the everything about me. But I wanted to rebel where I could. And so uh, I was never the friend that went over to my, or that had friends over to my house. My house was not like the host home. It wasn't the home where all the high schoolers came to hang out. I had two big dogs. One of them was pretty mean. So I was always going to my friend's house and their houses. But every now and then when they did come to my home, uh, it was a real treat because my home was set up in a cool way uh, where we used to live. My grandmother lived in this mother-in-law suite in our basement. It sounds horrible when I say I, we, our, my grandma lived in the basement, but that's where we put her and she loved it. Don't worry. Uh, it was really nice. It was like apartment style. It was great. And 
my mom, her room was all the way upstairs. And so when my grandma ended up moving out in this small little season where it was just me and my mom and my brother in this bigger house, I kind of took that downstairs and made it my own. So I had these friends over and we did this really, really cool thing. And this is a students, if you're in here, do as I say, not as I do situation. Um, I decided because I wanted to be cool. I was like, let's, let's sneak out. Let's sneak out and let's go. My house was in a subdivision that was kind of along this highway and there were multiple subdivisions in that stretch. And so what you would do is you could go out and you could walk to the edge of your subdivision, walk through this like wooded area and you'd pop out of the next subdivision. And then you would do that a few more times and you would end up at the greatest gas station on earth, a Thornton's, where you would get like anything you wanted and then we would walk back to the house. So it's probably 45 minutes one way, 45 minutes back. Like I said, we had bigger dogs. And so in my grandma's little uh, mother-in-law suite, there was uh, these, this big dog door that led out to our backyard. And so what we would do is we would sneak out the dog door. We would kind of like crawl out of it and, and we'd go outside and we, we'd go out the gate and we would make our way to Thornton's at like 1230, one in the morning, always being incredibly quiet and sneaky, not wanting our, my mom to find out. We did this probably two or three times. And then the last time we did it, we made it all the way to Thornton's. We made it 45 minutes. It was probably one in the morning. And I look down at my phone and it buzzes and I just see my mom. It says mom. And my heart just sinks. And I'm like, we're busted boys. And I open up my phone and it's a text from my mom that says, will you get me a bag of Doritos while you're there? (laughs) And it occurred to me in that moment that I have never been sneaky ever. And I I ended up talking to my mom about it. And she goes, son, you're the least sneaky person alive. You breathe heavily and you giggle every time you leave the house. And she goes, just stop crawling out of the dog door. It looks ridiculous. I'm under this impression that I'm really this sneaky guy. Uh, But in reality, I never snuck out of the house. I just left my house, which sounds way less, way less cool. Back to the the cave story. I think if there's 400 guys who are hiding, if I was even mildly involved in that, they would, Saul would have caught us pretty quick. Um, he would have caught me immediately. So the fact that David and 400 guys can hide out in this cave and in this country and, and not be caught is impressive to me. Um, but it wasn't impressive to me just that they didn't get caught, but David managed to become their commander and train them in this season. And he had, what a crew to work with, right? 400 guys, all of them are distressed or in debt or discontented, but that's who David had to work with. Later in this whole story of David and his men, these 400 people who were broken, distressed, in debt, they become known as David's mighty men later on. Some of the strongest warriors that Israel ever had or had seen. So what happened? What changed from hiding in a cave as broken men to walking alongside the king as some of his strongest warriors? I believe that three things happened. I believe that David instilled in those men three important principles that we're going to look at today to build them up, to serve him in the best way possible. And I want to make sure you don't miss this. I'm not saying this is a cool thing that these people did. What I'm trying to say this morning is here are three things that I believe if you and I do well, if we welcome this into our hearts and into our stories and into our lives, I believe that we are going to be better fit to serve the king with all we are, to serve our king with everything we have. I believe that uh, these three things outlined in David's story are clearly cut and clearly put in Psalm 34. A lot of scholars believe that while David was hiding in this cave and while they were in this season, that that's when David wrote a lot of his psalms. 
specifically Psalm 34, I believe, takes these three ideas, these three steps, if you will. And I think that if all that is true, and David truly wrote this during that time, that this is what those 400 men were hearing and learning about while they were in the caves, while they were prepping in that season between where they were called to be and where they actually were. So how did they do it? How did David train them? How did they change? Look at Psalm 34. Start with me in verse 1. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. David, to these men, the very first thing that he says, step one for all of us, stop what we're doing and praise God. If you're in that middle ground or if you are exactly where you're supposed to be or if you have no clue where God's calling you to, no matter where you are in that journey, stop what you're doing at all times and praise God. I think what happens, and this happens with me and maybe it happens with you, we, come be, we become so discontented in where we are. We become so angry or frustrated. We beat ourselves up a lot. A lot of us are probably pretty hard on ourselves. I know I'm one of those people. But we're hard on ourselves because we feel like we're failing to serve our king well. We feel like we're not walking in what God has for us as we should be. A lot of us can probably look at our lives and we wish we were praying more. We wish we were reading our Bibles more. I should be listening to more Christian music. We should be volunteering more, tithing more, counseling more, participating more, going to church events. We get so angry and frustrated at ourselves for the things we don't do that we just allow ourselves to continue doing nothing at all. We're so fed up with how we haven't been doing things right that we never start doing things right. And those are all things that are important. I'm not saying we shouldn't do those. And maybe you and I, we need to step up in some of those areas. But you can also be doing all those things. Like you can be sitting here making a list in your mind. I go to church, I give, I serve, I attend. I think we can be doing every single thing that we create on our list, but we can be doing them all without praising God once. We can do all the things that we feel like we're supposed to do, but if we're not stopping to praise God along the way, how powerful are those things? Are they as powerful as they could be in our lives? I think the word stop is the most important there. It's not just to praise always, but it's to stop and praise always. We don't like to stop. We don't like to stop in our schedule. We don't like to stop in our homes and our marriage with what we have on our list. Uh, we don't like to stop filling out and checking off boxes, but we need to stop. Because when we stop, we're not just posturing ourselves in a way that pauses our life. We're posturing ourselves in a way where we can hear and listen better. We have to stop. Stop being angry about what we haven't done. Stop being fake and acting like we're checking off all our lists. Stop being lazy and just saying no because we don't want to. Stop overworking. Stop loading up our lists with so many things that we never even intend to praise God. Stop complaining about how everything is all the time. Stop what we're doing and praise. Give him glory today. You may be in debt, defeated, distressed, or discontented, but that does not change what God deserves. Wherever you are, no matter what you're feeling, whether you're in the best season of your life and your faith or the most difficult cave, that doesn't change what our God deserves. David knows this, and that's why he instills this in those 400 men. Stop what we're doing and praise God. Second thing we need to do, trust God in all circumstances. We do a really great job of looking like everything we have and everything we do belongs to God. 
Or we do a really great job of saying that everything we have and everything we do belongs to God. But do we really trust him with everything we have? Do we really trust him with it all? Look back at Psalm 34 and start in verse 4 with me. David writes, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. Trust God in all circumstances. David says, you've seen God do something good. God has showed up for the boy. God has showed up for me. He will surely show up for you. We need to trust God in all circumstances. I want to make sure you're still with me this morning, so I want to do a small exercise. Uh, I'm going to say a line, and if you believe it's true in your life, would you just repeat out loud, yes. Okay, are you ready? If he has been good to you, say yes. Yes. If he has been faithful to you, say yes. Yes. If you think he'll do it again, say yes. yes. Are you sure? Yes. You all said that so confidently. My question is, do we live our lives with the same confidence that we just said yes to that too? Does every area look as confident as when we're asked point blank? Because the easy thing to say is yes, but do our actions, do my actions, do yours, do they line up with that same amount of faith and trust in God? Maybe they do. I think for some of us, they don't. The question really is how can any of us be fully in the service of someone we don't trust? How can any of us be fully serving with everything we are if we don't even trust the person we're in service to? David's in a cave. He was anointed to be the king and leader of God's people, but he's hiding in a cave from the current king who's trying to kill him with 400 distressed and angry, broken men and family surrounding him. He's still a child in many ways in training at this point. He's not the king. He's not who he was told he would be. And he could be angry and frustrated at that, but instead he trusts that God is gonna come through again and again. Because how hopeless would that cave have felt to David if he didn't believe he would be out of the cave someday? How hopeless would that cave feel for all of those men, all the followers of David and of God, if they lived in that cave and in that season of hardship, how much more torment would that season be if in that season they didn't trust that God would deliver them at some point? Some of you are in a cave right now. You're being molded and trained. You're facing hardships. You're fearing the world around you. How much does it change your current situation, our current situations, if we fully believe that God has something more for us? on the other side of it? How much does that affect and change the way we live in this hard season, the way we train, the way we prepare, the way we listen, the way we learn? Because on the other side of this cave, of their cave, David was told you're gonna be the king, and he was someday. He had faith in that. So he used that time wisely. But I think a lot of us might not have faith that this season of hardship we're in is gonna end. And so we're letting it get us down. But God is saying, "Don't, don't let it get you down. Let it mold you, because one day I'm going to use you. One day you're coming out of that cave, but are you and I going to be as ready as we can be when that time comes? I think that depends on how we live in the cave now. We have to trust God in all circumstances. The hope is, and the prayer is, that eventually, in six months or a week or ten years, we can look back to the season we're in right now, and if somebody, like I just did, says, has God been faithful to you, you think of this time and you'll say, yes, he was but you don't want to say that in 10 years. We want to say that now because church, he is good. He is faithful. 
It's not something that's only true when you're on the other side of what's hard. He's still those things now when things are difficult. And this season is meant to have a purpose. It's not empty. He is good. We stop what we're doing and we praise. We trust God in all circumstances. And finally, we have to answer his call for you. You have to answer his call for you. We have to answer his call for us. Read the final two verses of Psalm 34 with me. Verses 21 and 22. It says, Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. There are some action words in there that call David's people, that David is using to call us to something. And it's when he said, rescue his servants and no one who takes refuge in him. Servants who take refuge. That's who we need to be. That is not a, these people have it, these people don't. That is a, if you want to see the outside of this cave, if you want to see deliverance, if you want to see these things happen, you need to be my servants And you need to take refuge in me. Those are things that you and I are called to do. I'll flip those. The first thing, really, is take refuge in the king. And maybe you have never taken your first step to handing your life over to Jesus. You've never taken refuge in Jesus before. You don't even know what that looks like. Or maybe you have known what that looks like for a while, but you just need to make that decision. If that's a conversation you want to have, I'll be out in the lobby afterwards or anybody here. We would love to talk with you about baptism and what that looks like to find your refuge in Jesus. Because in service of the king, that's one thing we have to do. But the other thing David says, it's it's, God will rescue his servants. The Lord will rescue his servants. Servants are people who do what the king calls us to do. And so in order to be a servant of God, the question is asked of you and of me, are we doing the things that God has called us to do? The answer may be, I don't know what God's calling me to do. The answer may be, yes, I'm doing what God is calling me to do. Or maybe the answer is, no, I'm not doing what God has called me to do. I know what that is, but I'm not doing it. I know that all of us are being called to serve our God in some way. Many ways with our lives and our posture. Many in more specific ways to help others find and follow Jesus because that's the mission of the church. Maybe God is calling you to something and you think it's so daunting and it's, it's going to take massive life change. It's going to take big decisions. It's going to take big steps. You're in the cave, but you know to get out of the cave and walk in the life that God has to live in your purpose. You know that's going to call for a lot of action from you. And that is maybe so daunting that you've not done it. Or maybe God is calling you to something that you see as being more simple or too simple that it's almost easy to not do it and you still feel like you haven't done anything wrong. He'd be calling you to do something, I'm I'm saying simple, and I'll get back to that, something simple like being on the greeting team or helping with coffee or jumping into a ministry. He might be calling you to something like that, but you're saying that's such a small thing, other people will take care of that, I don't need to do that. Church, both of those, whether you think it's because the task is too big or too little, either way, we need to humble ourselves today. Humble ourselves and know that when God is calling us to do something, our job is not to decide the task ourselves. It is to look at where we're gifted and what opportunities God provides and answer the call and walk in obedience. He is God. We are not. When the king calls us to something, we walk in that. We respond by being obedient. Our job is never to choose the tasks. It's to walk in obedience. The king may call you to a great battle or he may call you to clean the shields when the battle is done. It's not your place to choose which. We walk in obedience. 
So we stop what we're doing and we praise. We trust God in all circumstances and we answer his call. It may mean taking a small step and making a small change today towards the life that God is calling you to. And it may mean that you're in this cave and you need to train and prepare for something larger. But I'll tell you, church, it never means you do nothing. We are walking in our call or we're walking towards our call. There are no other options. To do nothing is no longer an option. And if you've been doing nothing, that needs to change. The men who were with David in the cave, the distressed, the in debt, the discontented, they went on to become something much greater. We read in 1 Chronicles 12. Read this with me. They were armed with bows and were able to shoot arrows or to sling stones right-handed or left-handed. They were relatives of Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, a few times in the year, the staff will go and we'll do like a staff fun day. And a few Mondays ago, Chris Carlisle showed us around Rising Glory Farms. If you ever are interested in that, it's a really cool place. We got to see how the farm works and everything he does there. And at one point, he let the staff, and you can imagine Wellspring staff doing this, uh, shoot bow and arrow and, and just shoot arrows at targets. And as you can imagine, we were all really great at it. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're all fantastic. I specifically, at the very beginning, was among the worst at it. I was horrible. And so um, I was aiming down my sight and I was like kind of getting in position and it just got, it felt right. It felt good. As soon as I let go of the arrow, it was like long gone, like nowhere near the target, completely off target, horrible. And then Chris had us do this exercise, like put your finger out. And I learned that day, something I've never known, which is that I am left eye dominant. I had no idea. It explains why I'm bad at all the things I tried to do growing up. Now I know. And that's the reason, by the way. Uh, if I could go back, I'd be like the most stellar athlete of all time. But I learned that day that I'm, I'm left eye dominant. And so I had to change up the way I shot the arrow. And so I used my, my left arm to pull back and my right to aim. So I, my left eye was being used and I started hitting the target and I got a bullseye and he let me keep that arrow. It was really cool. I felt like a little kid in a candy shop. He, he made me feel important. The thing that is so cool is it took something very small and a little bit of training and the way that I was able to perform the task increased dramatically. But more than that, here's what it says about David's mighty men. It says that they were able to shoot the bow and arrow with both their right hand and their left hand. So here's the thing. If an enemy is coming from this direction and then this direction, my instinct would be to go there and then to turn all the way and get the next target. But they don't do that. They trained to be able to use both hands so that they could go like this and then immediately switch to that. I'm not very good at it, which is kind of the point. But that only saves them a few seconds when they're switching from one target to the other. That training takes years to be able to use both of your hands to be ambidextrous in archery for the sole purpose of being able to cut down maybe a second or two in your switch from here to here. But in service of the king, it called for their best. Because they were defending the king, because they were serving the king, they knew that they had to be excellent at what they did. They said, King David is worth protecting, so it's worth being the best. They knew that every second in service of the king mattered. I think a lot of us are often deciding whether we should serve or not serve, whether we should try something or not try something. I think you need to go deeper than that. We should all be serving. The question is, how excellent are we going to become at what we do? I'm not saying you need to go join the greeting team or join the coffee team or step into students or kids. There's a little plug for student ministry if you want to know. Um, I'm not saying you have to do all of those things to be the best at it because you're supposed to be so cool and the best and 
awesome at everything. That's not your job, but your job is to be a warrior for the king. And in service of the king, the things that we do have to matter more. Because we have a king who deserves it. We have a king who deserves every single millisecond that we can fix and become better and more equipped. They spent all that time in this cave so that they could be in service to the king in the light. And I think a lot of us might be in a season of training, a season of growth, a season where we're in the cave being molded. We don't exactly know where we're supposed to go. You might not know exactly where you're supposed to go next, but I promise you the answer is not to do nothing. In service of the king, the answer is never to do nothing. David equipped his men and gave them opportunity to grow, to become warriors, to go from this band of misfits to one of the most powerful military strengths of that time. They did it by praising and all they did. They did it by trusting in God for who he was. And they did it by saying yes. They answered the call. And not only did they answer the call, but they walked in that call to the best of their abilities in service of the king. If you need to answer the call this morning, if you need to answer the call on your life to start walking towards or in your purpose, staying still is no longer an option. And we don't do it to be the best. We don't do it for our own name. We do it because in service of the king, excellence is the minimum we could bring. And every second matters in service of the king. So I don't know if your first step is one where you need to make a decision to find out who Jesus is and make him your refuge, or your first step is to talk about a ministry. On your communication cards, if there's a possible ministry area that you want to learn about or jump in and serve in, write your name and what that area is on there. Nobody was alone in the cave. There were 400 guys working together. And the church wants to be here. We want to point you in the right direction. And I also want to make clear that I'm not saying this because Wellspring is desperate for volunteers and because the church overall is going to collapse if you don't jump in. The church has had plenty of people say no to it before and it's still going strong. We jump into service because our king calls us to. And there's some opportunities for that at Wellspring. But if it's not here, you need to serve somewhere. You need to adapt somewhere. You need to say yes somewhere. Because in service of the king, he deserves our best. There's nothing we shouldn't do. And it's not just for you, it's for me, it's for all of us. It's time for us to say yes to something and to do more. And if that's you this morning, today's an opportunity to say yes to God. Say yes to what he's called you to. Say yes to his son Jesus, maybe for the first time. But to walk towards or to your calling are the options. To walk in your calling or to walk towards it. And I don't know what that looks like for you. I'm happy to pray with you. There's plenty of people who would love to talk with you. The church is here with you. But that's to stay still and do nothing, it, it's not an option in service of the king. It's time for us to do more. Pray with me. God, you are good. And we're honored to be servants for you. We're honored to walk with you, to know you. God, we're humbled that you would choose us in our brokenness, in our discontentment, in our debt, in our sin, and still call us to more. God, I'm thankful for every single person in this room or who's listening. I'm thankful for the call that you put on their life. I don't know what they all are. You do. And God, I pray that you would equip us as a church and as followers of you to be ready to see every opportunity. Help us praise you in all we do. Help us to stop and look to you and to trust you. 
And God, give us the courage and the boldness to try something new. God, I pray for anybody who has a feeling like they need to sign up, they need to say yes, they need to talk. I pray that you wouldn't let that feeling rest, that you would bring them to the boldness to ask and to seek and to walk towards you. We love you. It's in Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen.